0: Welcome to another episode of the Formation Podcast. This is episode number 27 and you join us at the end of another jam-packed week of football matches. They just keep on rolling at the moment um, but we're going to get a little break pretty soon so we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. Um, over the course of the last week the Champions League quarterfinal final lineup has been completed and it's quite exciting really. There's still three English teams in there. So we've got that to look forward to over the coming weeks. Will any of them manage to go all the way? It remains to be seen. But um, the focus this weekend of every football fan or most football fans will be on the FA Cup because the quarterfinals for them um, will kick off, I believe, tomorrow. Uh, So that's Saturday, Saturday the 20th of March. Um, And there's one game in our uni house here, which has been, you know, discussed quite widely, maybe by, mainly by one person. um, And that person is Harry Tizard, the Mr Southampton, um, because Southampton are still in that competition. They kick off the weekend with their game against Bournemouth. I just wanted to check in with you, Harry, before we get on with the episode about how your nerves are at this point. I mean, we couldn't have had Bournemouth at a worse time. You know, we had two months or it
1: was like a month, a month and a bit from the last draw. And it was like, well, let's just get some momentum. Let's get out of this poor run of form. And I guess we sort of did. You know, Sheffield United beaten 2-0. But since then, another couple of games lost and, I'm a bit nervous, I've got to be honest. Bournemouth off the back of a great 3-0 victory against Swansea are going to be feeling really, really confident ahead of this game. So I'm quite concerned, especially because normally when we head into these sort of ties, these FA Cup fixture sort of ties, we normally get slightly unlucky. So we normally get Premier League teams and we're normally a slight under, not a massive underdog, a slight underdog, maybe for the Wolves game, maybe for the Arsenal game, not quite for the Shrewsbury game. But now we're sort of expected to win. It's not a sort of free, expected to win in a reasonably tight game. You know, Shrewsbury, you know, because they're League One, League Two. No, well, I can't, apologies, I can't remember which one they are. in Bournemouth Championship, so a bit closer. It's going to be a bit concerning. So
0: we'll see how it goes. And Sam, Harry has given it the big build-up all week, and I'm almost looking forward to both watching the game and also watching. Harry's reaction as it was through, <laughs> as he said, they're clearly nervous. Would you agree with that? should be entertaining, shouldn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a big game for Harry, so it'll be good to watch him go through all the elements, as it were, of of, a, of such a, an important game in their season with, with the Premier League pretty much being, you know, the result of their Premier League season pretty much being decided already. The FA Cup is important to them.
0: Yeah, and I mentioned um, very early on that there is a little break coming. Well, kind of a little break, as in the league season takes a pause for two weeks after this weekend, um, as the March international break is with us. Um, Devon, people's views on the international break in England as a whole are kind of pretty mixed. Are you excited for what's to come, or are you maybe a bit drawn back and not too excited about it?
3: Uh, I, think, I think I was quite excited, obviously, during the Euros um, for team uh, podcast we did. I kind of got the spirit I feel before a tournament, but looking at the squad that was announced, um, yeah, like, I can't wait for the, the two weeks to be, to be up.
0: Yeah, um, and that's how we're going to kind of start this episode off. As you mentioned there, we we made our England team for the Euros about a month ago now, I think it was. Um, But we want to focus on this squad, which has definitely been announced. We haven't had a say on this one, so we're just (laughs) going to give our thoughts. Southgate didn't come and consult us, which was, you know, somewhat disappointing, but never mind. Um, So, yeah, there's been a 26-man squad released because England are going to be playing... Three World Cup qualifiers over the space of the two week international break. First of all, they host San Marino at Wembley, then they head to Albania, and then Poland come to Wembley for the third game. Um, And it's quite an important squad because this international break is arguably the last chance to impress Southgate in an England shirt. You know, there might, there's going to be probably a 30 man squad which is released before the final 23-man squad for the Euros is finalised. But this one is kind of the the last mid-season one. So it's an important one. Um, One of the main headlines coming out of it, which which we'll start with, um, two players have received their first senior call-ups. Those two players are Aston Villa's Ollie Watkins and West Bromwich Albion's Sam Johnston. So. Harry, how do you feel about those two inclusions? Do you think they're deserved? What are your thoughts?
1: I think the Sam Johnson one, especially with Pickford out injured, I think is the obvious candidate. I know West Brom have got a goal difference of minus 37, but they'd probably be rock bottom of the league if Sam Johnson wasn't in between the sticks. Games such as the one against Sheffield United, at home at the Hawthorns, away at Anfield, away at the Etihad. He was the difference between them picking up points and even a win against Sheffield United or getting slaughtered, to be honest with you. So I think that's a great inclusion. I, once again, he's probably going to be the third choice. Hopefully, Pope gets his chance. Hopefully, I, I, I expect he will do. To be honest, I expect he will get his chance. And Watkins, I enjoy, I like that pick. I like it, but it's a it's a real big toss-up because it was either him or it was Bamford. And I think even Southgate said it was a really 50-50 choice. But I think Watkins, he's deserved it. He's really adjusted well to the Premier League. Uh, a bit unlucky on Bamford. But I think Watkins is an equally good shout.
0: As you said there, Harry, um, there were there were a few suggestions prior to the announcement that um, Bamford could have been involved, especially with Danny Ings out injured. You know, we've spoken about Bamford on these episodes before how good he's looked for Leeds this year. Um, do you think he will maybe be starting to think to himself? Am I ever going to get this chance? Given that Withings out, it looked like the perfect opportunity. What do you think, Sam?
2: Yeah, is this if he were, if he was going to get picked in the England squad, well, this was going to be it, really. With Southgate sort of trying a few different players to see if they'd be able to fit into the England team before before the Euros, and it is it is a bit harsh. Obviously, he's got what thirteen goals compared to Ollie Watkins ten, but they obviously play in a bit different systems. I think Leeds' system creates a lot more chances for Bamford's than Aston Villas does for Watkins. So, I think Watkins probably has the better all-round game as a striker than over Bamford. So,
0: I'm not complaining too much with with Southgate's pick there. Yeah, and there have been a few recalls as well of players who have previously played for England. Um, Jesse Lingard being one of them, Luke Shaw and John Stones being the other two. Um, And it's pretty hard to argue really those three players I think like Bamford have all had mentions from us in recent weeks you know they've they've delivered both in terms of for their teams and also for thousands of fantasy teams um so you know fits the bill in both cases not that Southgate will be considering that but yeah I think it's hard to argue that they don't deserve to be in the squad um but interestingly there is no place for Trent Alexander-Arnold in this squad um there are three other right backs chosen: Reece James, Kieran Trippier, and Kyle Walker. Um, when we did that squad for our Euros, um, Devon, you were outvoted, I think, in terms of Trent Alexander-Arnold, and he was in our squad, in, in our eleven for it. So, were you were you still surprised to see that this was the case, even though you were maybe picking someone else?
3: Uh. Possibly because I think even though Liverpool's form's been absolutely terrible, I think as soon as the uh, the centre halves have come back into well, they've actually played with two centre backs. I think Trent's form's really picked up again. Um, Not in terms of numbers, but you know, he 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 just he he seems to be playing with a bit more confidence. Um, I feel like it's a strange move to take Trent out and bring in Trippier and have Trippier in there. Obviously, Trippier's eight years older, has more experience, but maybe he's just there to be that kind of old head in the squad um, and really, you know, allowing uh, James to learn off him. But um, in my opinion, I think we should, even though he's trying a few different players out, we should really be trying to get a couple of players in there. Like, if he is trying players out, let Trent come in, see if his form... Differs or or gets better because he's back in the England setup, but I think the um it, it, it's a strange decision for me.
0: When um when Southgate was asked about it in his presser after the announcement, um he said, "I'm certain Trent will play a big part in the future." So do you think, Harry, that maybe we shouldn't be surprised to see um a right back like him be left out purely because Southgate has the ability with so many good right backs that he can just rotate.
1: I think it's though. I think it's two things in particular. A, I think it's that. I think when you're when you're not on form, I think it is all right to be dropped. You know, plenty of players have done it in the past, and Southgate's been accustomed to doing it as well. So it shouldn't be too much of a shock. There's also things such as you know, with the two right backs with Rhys James with Kieran Trippier. I'd imagine maybe, maybe he'll take three right-backs, I don't know, but he's got to choose between those two because for me, Trent should be on the plane because he is one of the best right-backs in the league. But it's also the third thing of, you know, we're actually taking left-backs this time, meaning there's less space for other players to get in the squad. And you know, look, it's a 26-man squad. He's got to be considering his options because you can only take 23 to the Euros. So he's going to have to cut three out of the squad overall. So already he's going to have to be seeing who's playing well in training, who's doing well in the matches. I know it's, it's a different situation this one because against um, San Marino, because against Albania, it's a, it's a bit troublesome because you know you can say you can test out players, but if you're playing for England and you're not in a side that can beat either of those teams, that's a bit concerning. Against Poland, it's a bit more of a challenge because they're a bit they're a bit more impressive as a side. But the first two games, I think any team that. Should be selected, should be winning that game. So it's, it's a bit of a difficult one to answer your question. Yeah, I think Trent's certainly part of the long term, and it's just about
2: giving him a bit of a rest. Hopefully, the full back picks mean that Southgate is swapping to a back four, because I know he likes to play trippy on the left of a back five, which he has done a lot. He did it at did the World Cup as well. So Hopefully, it looks like Trippier has been brought into the squad as a right-back, so hopefully that means he's, he's going with the back four for these games to test it out for the Euros, which is, I think, what we all want. I think we've most of us have had enough of the back five, really.
3: Wouldn't it be argued that by bringing the likes of Conacodian and having uh, Mings in there, that they might be planning to just still stick with the, the three at the back? Um, Maybe.
2: I think it is important to maybe have a left-footed centre-back. I know Mings is a, a left-footer. I'm not sure about Cody, but maybe. I it's just a good idea to have yeah.
1: variation in the squads. It's just a good idea to have variation. And be it by having someone like Connor Cody, who isn't likely to play, you know, you look at the other England players, War and Jude Belling, for example, they're not likely to play. But if there's, there will be a scenario where one of them maybe needs it. You know, maybe you have five minutes left to, left in, in a game and you need a set-piece taker to bang balls into the box to the two centre-backs. That's when you bring someone like War Proust on. And maybe if the tournament's not going as well as expected or we come up against the team, that's very, very dangerous in the attack. Maybe we do need that three centre-back formation. So it's just, you know, when you can only have 23 players in the squad, you need to be able to play different systems and utilise the players you can have. That's why players like Saka, I know we're not talking about them, that's why players like Saka are so important because they can literally play anywhere on the pitch. And the more players that you have that can do that, the better your squad's going to be.
3: I, like, I suppose then, like we've said numerous times already, just having that, you know the the few experimental players in there, and maybe it, one game he'll set up with a back four, then he'll set up with a back three. You um, just when when I saw the Connie Cody uh, pick, I thought, well, that's he's definitely picked that with a three at the back formation in mind. Due to, I mean, numerous times I've seen Tim Spears and and another on our course um, speak about how when Wolves playing a back four and Connie Cody's in there, he looks inept, but when he's in the back three, he looks solid. So yeah, maybe. But likewise, the back three probably um, helps the likes of Harry Maguire be a little bit more coverage there.
0: Yeah, some good points made there. Um, I think it would certainly be interesting if Southgate chose to set up with a back five against the worst team in the world, San Marino. Definitely the worst after
3: Sheffield performances recently.
0: (laughs) I really hope that um, he doesn't do that and he sees to his senses because that would be... A terrible watch. It probably won't be a good watch anyway, even if it is with the back four. Um, I just want to mention a player who Harry briefly touched on earlier on, Nick Pope. Um, and Sam, we were speaking about this the other day, how with Pickford injured, this is surely a pretty big chance for Pope to make his mark for England, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. He it, it needs to get a run out really in, in this England side. Obviously the, the games like you've mentioned aren't big so I'm not sure how much he'll he'll be tested in, in the games like San Marino. So I'd, I just think this is the perfect opportunity now for Nick Pope. I think we all want him as our starting keeper. He's he's a much better much better you know traditional keeper compared to Pickford. I think obviously we talked about distribution and where he could get better, but I think he should be the the pick for the Euro so it'd be nice to see him get some minutes in an England shirt.
0: And another player who's had um a bit of attention over the last week or so is Jude Bellingham. I think there were question marks over whether due to quarantine um, and everything surrounding that, whether he'd be able to come over and join the squad. He has been included in the squad and I think it's his his second England call-up. And I was thinking back when I was making my notes that he didn't even come into discussion when we were picking our team. So does this second consecutive call-up Suggest that we were wrong to not consider him, or do you think he's he if he was to go to the Euros, he would maybe only be taken as you know a backup option?
3: Um, I I, I don't know because Bellingham recently has been like kind of a shoo-in for uh, for Dortmund, and obviously we know the talents of their team, <clears throat> and it's good to see that Southgate is still keeping an eye on. Uh, then, obviously his eye will be on Sancho ultimately when but of Sancho's uh, currently I think out injured, um I believe he's put him in there you know for confidence wise because like you said the quarantine uh, uh, laws probably won't let him play but um I think having him there is kind of the the young one in the squad that always seems to be brought up when you know like when Theo K okay, world uh, Walcott was uh, was promoted into the squad um, at a young age, but likewise, it's good just to see some of these the talent. You know, you mentioned Bellingham, but there's also you know young players like uh, Foden and and fit and well, not Phillips anymore. But these these kind of players that are on the periphery to actually get a, a standing opportunity.
2: I mean, you might be in the thirty for the Euros, but at seventeen years of age, I'm wary of throwing him in too early. I mean, we've seen we've seen his talents with Birmingham and Dortmund, but we need to sort of properly, despite their talent, blood them through properly and get them the proper experience before throwing them into an intense tournament situation like the Euros, where we are going to be one of the favourites to win it, I believe. So, I'd like to love to see him play a lot of games in the future, but I don't want to throw him in too quickly.
3: I just wonder if if that was in mind then. He- I don't know how it works. Obviously, we mentioned about the under twenty one euros and some games taking now. The group stage is taking place next week, and uh, and the full tournament. Well, rest of the tournament in the summer. Maybe that if if you can change your squad, maybe Jude Bellingham will fall into that one for the knockout stages. Should we get through? Obviously.
2: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that would be a good platform for him. I think.
0: Yeah, I think it, that'll be an interesting one to see develop, as you say, Sam. Given just how young he is, um, I'm trying to think how how young was Walcott when he went to his first major tournament. Not very old at all, was he? He even made a he even made a Premier League appearance. Yeah, I th- I don't I'm think not think sure he that. had. I think you might yeah. be right. I think so yeah, but- really young. That will be one to keep an eye over. But yeah, there's three England games coming up over the next couple of weeks. He's hoping that um, there's no more boar fests like some of the games earlier in the season. But we can't control that, unfortunately. Um, We're going to move on now to a bit of a manager focus um, because there's been a few good, well, a few changes which have taken place and a few good stories coming out of it. so the first one which we want to discuss is Sheffield United. Um, and this change actually happened almost a week ago now, but we think the ramifications which could come as a result are worth talking about. Um, so if you've seen this news, you will know that Chris Wilder is no longer the manager of Sheffield United. Um, Rumours started to swirl before last weekend um, saying that he was going to be sacked. And then a day before... The Blades' game against Leicester. Um, the official announcement was made. We'll come on to that game in a few minutes. But um, the Blades' chances of survival, Devon, have looked pretty slim for several months now. You know, they've been rooted to the bottom of the Premier League. Um, so I think the timing of this departure is what has surprised most people. Would you agree?
3: Yeah, I mean, you remember a couple of weeks back there were rumours that he were uh, that he'd walked, but he hadn't. And prior to him leaving, Sheffield United kind of picked up a little bit of form, got a, a winner two, and and performances actually saw <clears throat> a bit of fight and belief in there. But um, overall, I think it's a strange one because obviously it's mutual consent, but sometimes that can indicate that. The the chairman's given a little push, um, if you're reading too much into it. So considering that that aspect, I just feel like with with, with where Sheffield United are, they've they they probably the most important thing was keeping Wilder on board for next season and getting you know just bouncing straight back up. Um, whereas now it it's all about the pressure of the next person because anyone that's going to fill that legacy, I mean. 100 points in League One, and a successful season back in the Championship and then promotions the year after. And then obviously last season was such a high until um, until COVID struck. And then that's where the form ultimately took a, a nosedive.
0: Yeah. And Sam, Devon there has listed all of the achievements which uh, Wilder racked up while in that job in the five years. So do you think he arguably deserved the chance to try and bring them back up next year, given all that he's done for that club?
2: Yeah, well, at least see out the season. I mean, that's the, I think that's the least he could have expected. But obviously, it, it's sort of been a long time coming, even though the results of the club have been very good, apart from this season, obviously. His relationship with the owner, Prince Abdullah, has been one that's been in the press a lot of being quite frosty. And I think they've disagreed on a lot of things like director, director of football and transfers and the performances this season has just seen that relationship disintegrate. We have only won four games and they've really struggled with losing Jack O'Connell, Jack O'Connell and Sandberg to injury early on in the season. And obviously Dean Henson going back to United, who was, they were all key figures last season. And you've seen a lot of the players that he brought up from the lower leagues have really struggled for performances and confidence this season. So I think the, the performances of Sheffield United this season have just fast-tracked that, that relationship between him and the owner going to, well, going to the bottom, really, and Prince of had enough and got rid. And I think a lot of Sheffield United fans were very disappointed, very sad to see that for a man who's done so much for this club.
0: Yeah and unsurprisingly disappointed as well. Um, I saw a few suggestions um, one of which was from Gary Lineker suggesting that maybe Sheffield United should have stuck with something which Norwich did and that was stick with Daniel Farker which has turned out to work pretty successfully at least up to this point Um, but I almost think um, as you said there Sam the relationship with the owner is pretty important and I'm almost certain that in Norwich's case, um, there's never been any tension at all between Farker and the ownership and probably not the fans either, that you know there was kind of acceptance that we came down and also acceptance that Farker was going to be the man to do it. And people didn't seem to have too many problems with that. So it's different situations, isn't it? It's a tough one to judge. Before we move on to where Sheffield United go next, as for Wilder, Harry, which sort of job could you maybe see him taking next? I saw one suggestion um, last weekend that maybe West Brom could be a potential destination. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Big Sam yet at the end of the season. West Brom looks set to go down themselves. What do you think about that? I've been making appointments
1: before, and looking at Chris Wilder, he can obviously work with absolutely anything. You know, Sheffield United was a product that they weren't expecting to get to the Premier League and be so successful in the first season as well. I just think he needs someone that has ambition and wants to, want that, that sees his ambition and, and that sees that. Because the thing that I was thinking when you guys were talking about Prince Abdullah and their reaction being um, their relationship not being the best, the problem with that is, as, a, as an owner, as a chairman, You want your club to be as valuable as possible, and that's being in the Premier League. And getting rid of Wilder, no matter what your relationship's like, I know you're going to say you're going to move on to it in a second, but I can't see them getting back into the Premier League anytime soon now they don't have him because you need players that play for that manager and that seems like he is that man he's someone that players want to play for want to fight for like the stats when you really look at them are ridiculous you know they've never lost more than three goals by more than three goals in 227 games and they've only conceded five goals once you know that's That sort of fight, that sort of determination just not to get battered because there's so many teams that once they concede two goals, believe me, I've seen it enough myself. Once they concede two goals, they just let it loose and then they concede nine. But, um, yeah, to answer your question, as long as, as, long as there's ambition <laughs> and as long as there's a desire and a philosophy that suits Wilder, and that might be through West Brom, I can see it working out for them.
0: Harry, you didn't need to mention the nine-nil again there. <laughs> you, 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 you only said the word... Someone on
3: really <laughs> I, I won't make it
1: too it. No, no, lives, lives rent-free, as they like yeah. to say. Fair
0: <laughs> enough. Um, So, I mentioned there the announcement came before the Leicester game. The man who took charge of Sheffield United for that Leicester game was Paul Heckingbottom, the former Barnsley and Leeds manager. And he'd been at Sheffield United for... Is it a short period, would you say, Devon, for... Um, as the, was it the under-23 coach, did you say, the other day?
3: Yeah, he. Um, I believe anyway, because um, I think at the start of the season, he was appointed as 23's manager for them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so the former under-23's manager, he's now taken interim charge. That's until the end of the season. Um, interestingly as well, Jason Tindall, um, who was recently sacked by Bournemouth, has come in as the interim assistant. Um, but in that game against Leicester, um, Blades lost 5-0. Um, that was at the King Power. Ian Acho is in excellent form and he bagged the hat-trick. Um, but a key stat coming out of that was that Wilder never lost by a margin that big um, as, as United manager throughout his five years in charge. I think, Harry, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they'd also never lost by four goals in any game. Is that right? Never, never
1: more than three. They've lost. They've never more probably lost three. by three a few times, but, yeah. There we it's go. So 227
0: that kind of, matches. That kind of shows the, the impact that him heading out has had. Um, they've only won four league games this season so far. So, under Heckingbottom and Tyndall, Sam, can you see them winning any of their final nine matches? Um
2: It'll be tough. I do feel for him really, because being a caretaker is a is a thankless job, as we've seen a lot down down the years. And with with Sheffield United in the state that they're in, very low on confidence, it's going to be hard to get a reaction out of them. I think the players would have been shocked as well to to have seen Wilder gone, knowing what he's done for a lot of them, a lot of their careers. So it's going to be very difficult for them. And it's also depressingly poetic if you're. Sheffield United fantasy, like you mentioned, not not conceded four or five in any games and the in the wild. in their first game, they conceded five. So, just a sign of things to come, unfortunately, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. And this weekend, we've already mentioned the FA Cup with Southampton playing in it. Sheffield United are still in that competition. Um, their quarter-final this weekend is at Stamford Bridge where they'll face Chelsea. Devon, do you, do you think they've got any hope there or... Do you just think they're heading out of that?
3: Um, maybe any avoiding any of the bigger teams. Maybe they could have sparked some reaction and said, you know, let's do it for Chris. Let's let's go on and do something, or you know, for the fans. But I mean, we I think we've seen two calls. Chelsea have been unstoppable recently, and um, I mean, I, I can just see them getting steamrolled personally, yeah. Uh, unless. You know, some somehow it's a a great defensive performance. Um, with the, you know, the one one centre half and a right back and a left midfielder, kind of in that back three. Um, with their injuries they've got currently, um, but yeah, I, I can't, I can't see there being any reaction. If there was a reaction, we might have seen that on Sunday. Yeah, I can't see. uh I can't see, Sheffield United progressing.
0: Yeah. Um. Several sources have suggested over the last few days that the club are set to change to a new structure in the summer. Um, Cause obviously we, we don't know who the new man is going to be yet, whether it is Heckingbottom or someone else. Um, so they're looking likely to change to bringing in a director of football who would come in and control the transfer activity, which is a system that a lot of clubs have changed to. Some have had great success with it. Some haven't. Um, Harry, you mentioned earlier about their chances of bouncing straight back up. Do you think this change of structure sounds logical in terms of their plan to do that? It depends who they bring in, because you can't bring in a manager that
1: wants to deal with transfers if they can't choose their own transfers. A lot of managers these days, they're not too fussed. They just go, right, can I have a player that's got this quality, that quality and this quality? And they'll the director of football will go out and give them three options or, or whatever, and they'll go, yeah. Right, I want that one. So there's, they've got to have a manager that's quite relaxed in terms of that, and just wants to focus on the squad and the philosophy of the squad because that's the main thing. You need players that have the minerals that you want in players. And um, so looking at who's going to come in, I've got absolutely no idea. You know, there's not a lot of managers out there that I can think he'll
2: be a perfect fit. You could only do this with while they gone now because he was very much against the director of football because he wanted to have a lot of control and that's why him and, and Prince of delayed had a lot of disagreements. But I think one interesting thing with them going back into the championship is Ryan Brewster, who they brought in for over twenty million pounds in in October, and he's not even got a goal yet. So and he did he did really well with Swansea and his loan spell there. So it'll be interesting to see whoever comes in whether they can get the, the those performances out of, out of him as he was a highly rated teenager coming out of Liverpool and his Careers at a standstill now at Sheffield United, so it'll be interesting to see what he does next.
0: Um, McBurney, of course, being another player who Blade signed, and he maybe hasn't lived up to what they will have hoped. And McBurney has a past in the Championship of a good scoring record, so as you say, so that should be interesting. Devon, in terms of his replacement, before we move on, is there are there any names which you've seen thrown around which you could maybe see coming to fruition?
3: I just wanted to before I go into that. I just wanted to make a point um, that obviously Wilder had all the control of the transfers and stuff like that, but his record of who he brought in over the last few years has been abysmal, albeit in within the budget. Um, I feel like players they've not they've not like even when they brought in Sander Bird, it was like great player, wrong team because <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they were kind of. I mean, I think we talked about it for the first couple of months. It just looked like a, it, it, it just lost, and then if, eventually, when the reset happened, he seemed to get a little bit of form. I remember that game against Tottenham where I think he scored, but he had a fantastic performance, and people were comparing him and and then Don that game, and and the person coming in with that director of footballs kind of you want you need that fine line between a yes man and somebody that's going to take a bit of ruthlessness. I mean. The, the good thing about Wilder was how robust he was and how demanding and it, it, how his players lived up to that demand and, and really emphasised work rate and what it meant to play for the club. Um, the only person I'd say is that, um, that like I said, the next appointment is, is vital. They get that wrong. They're going to be languishing in, in the Championship and maybe joining us in League One in a couple of years' time. <laughs> Um, I, I think the, the logical choice of someone that had built on a smaller budget before, well, albeit if you gave him a bigger one, he ruined it at Bournemouth. But with Tindall going in, I'd said Eddie Howe potentially. Um, but you know, other names have been mentioned, like Sl- Slavan Bilic, won't be a bad shout, but he probably needs that uh, that one. Um, but you don't want to see him go backwards with someone like Neil Lennon, like Steve Bruce or Mark Hughes.
0: So we've spoken about Wilder in fair detail. We're now going to move on to some other managerial changes which have taken place recently. Um, The first one we want to speak about surrounds Lee Bowyer. Um, He was, of course, manager of Charlton when we last recorded one of these episodes. Um, But he has moved on from Charlton of League One to Birmingham City of the Championship. Um, And Birmingham City is where Lee Bowyer won the League Cup as a player towards the end of his playing career. Um, That was in 2011, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, So he's got that connection to the club. So as a result of that, Sam, do you think this is a logical move for him, especially given it's a step up the pyramid too?
2: Yeah, well, he guided them to their first home win in four months the other night against a a brilliant Reading side. So I think that's obviously an sign of encouragement for, for Birmingham fans who are, expecting this Karanka dismissal for a long time now someone who's really struggled they've you know they've never seen well, a Karanka team with fans in the stadium that's how quick that's how short his reign has been and Birmingham's an interesting one really because they've been a club sort of in limbo really they've been in the championship the whole time since they were relegated in 2011 but they've only been in the top 10 three times during that period so that they're, they're looking for a spark really and I think they're they're hoping that comes under Bowyer's reign.
0: Yeah, as you say there, that that win the other night was pretty impressive. To come in after I think only around a day or two in the job, and you know he was straight into that dugout um, and making his mark with that win. Um, so they're now six clear, six points clear of Rotherham, who are in the final um, in twenty seconds in the final. Um, relegation spot but at the time of recording um, Rotherham have four games in hand so Birmingham are far from safe yet Um, and obviously Wednesday and Wickham below them might still think they've got a glimmer of hope to do it but that remains to be seen Um, Harry how important do you think it is that having got that first win under their belts that Birmingham try and take advantage of you know the, the dead cat bounce that often comes with a new manager
1: it's going to be it's going to be difficult. It's certainly going to be difficult because they've got Watford, Swansea and Brentford in their next three. So to be fair, Bobby couldn't really come in a, in a more difficult time, especially because Reading also in the top six at uh, the time of speaking. So it's important because, like you said, Rotherham have got those four games in charge. So we've got to make the most of this small period because almost every team has this period where right a new manager comes through the door because everyone wants to impress him. Everyone in the squads knows you know, it, players that are maybe sidelined by Karanka, they're back in it. They've got a chance again to prove to someone else a few uh, a fresh coaching staff. That they should be in the starting 11. And because of their position in the table, there's no reason that they should think they're not deserving of that place because the team that was playing before wasn't that successful at all, as, as you previously said. So it is vital for Birmingham that they make the most of this small period because I think any. If they pick any points off of the next three, they're they're free hits from Birmingham's point of view because they're not games they're even slightly expected to win. So any sort of momentum they can get in the next three, fantastic for
0: them. And you mentioned there, Harry, just how difficult those games look on paper. But could you say that in a way, Birmingham should go into them with kind of no fear? Because having beaten... Reading already, who, you know, are also up there in terms of the teams pushing for promotion. They've already proved that they can, you know, cut it against the big boys if they can perform. Oh, well, games where you
1: have absolutely no expectation. many people do better because they're not pressurized by, you know, we're expected to win this, we need to play this exact system, we need to do this, we need to do that. So the manager doesn't say this but it's sort of like just go out there and just play with absolute freedom play because play you, if you lose no one's expecting you to win and that's the sort of like I said that's the mentality they've got to go in it with
0: Yeah um, so I think Birmingham have got around 10 games left so in terms of how they got on for the rest of the season it remains to be seen but um, Bowie's come in and had a good start but he's left behind um, Charlton Athletic in League One um, and the man who's come in to replace him is Nigel Adkins, um, who's had a couple of years out of the game um, since leaving Hull City in June 2019. He, he didn't leave there after a relegation or anything like that. It just came to the end of his contract and it wasn't renewed. So Adkins, back in the game. Devon, what are your thoughts on this appointment?
3: It's a Jesse Lingard situation again. I forgot. I completely forgot to do notes on Charlton. <laughs> uh, right. Um. I think from looking at the League One table for Pompey, I think that Charlton are around six, just on either on the periphery of the playoffs. So I think obviously Boyer didn't done a good job to kind of being there, and and Boyer obviously the bad ownership um that Charlton had. I don't know what the situation is there now, but previously that was kind of the. The um the net that was holding by back with that Charlton side now, um who, who I should say we're, we're quite quite unlucky um I believe not to be in the championship scene. as we probably should have got our points deduction last season instead of this season um overall now Charlton's the kind of, Adkins is the kind of manager he did well at with Hull uh, and they obviously they have got known for the their bad owners um and obviously Sheffield United, who we've already touched on, have their owners, so it kind of seems a good fit for Charlton. Um, He could come in, get that bounce, um, obviously, hopefully, probably go up in the playoffs, but there's quite a lot of strong teams in that kind of region. Um, And more importantly, Adkins could be the man who gets Charlton back into the Championship and actually stay in the Championship, and that's something their remit will be for the next few years, when Instead of bouncing up and down, let's stay as a championship side and let's build on that again. I mean, we all remember in like 2006 when they were back in the, when they were in the Premier League with Darren Bent, um, and obviously there's not seen any sort of them heights since. Harry,
0: you will be well aware of Adkins's um, experience at that level because he, of course, won promotion from League One with Southampton and with Scunthorpe prior to that. Um, He didn't have great success in that division with Sheffield United, but is this a good chance for him to prove that he's still got it and maybe get promotion from that division a third time with Charlton?
1: Yeah, most certainly. And he he quite clearly sees there's a a good project there. I think he said in this press conference that he rejected two championship sides in the past year or so because they just weren't quite the right thing. And the perfect thing with Nigel is it's sort of... It's a similar situation to the Southampton one. I guess you could say the same for the Sheffield United one. So maybe, maybe, maybe not. But in the terms of getting a club that's not not a sleeping giant, because Saints certainly weren't that. There was a team that was shouldn't really be in League One in, in terms of the size, but they deserve to be there. Oh. But they can be hopeful because he's, he's a magic to so the absolute maximum and. He made some great signings when he was at Saints and projecting from League One to the Premier League. Don't get me wrong, I don't think it will be the same sort of situation with Chelsea. But they're going to have a plan. They might have a five-year plan to get, like Dunham said, get back into the Championship and stay there. And he might do that, you know. he signed a two-and-a-half-year deal, so there's quite clearly ambition from the board that he's going to be there for, for at least a certain amount of time the next two-and-a-half seasons. So I can't see why he can't get them
3: back into the Championship. The thing with Adkins at Sheffield United is that he was picking up the pieces that David Weir... Um, left I mean he left the club in the relegation zone I believe anyway um, and I remember obviously our at school at the time with hundreds of Sheffield United fans um, that were telling me the same things that just that we were absolutely terrible and, and Adkins came in and obviously got them to the, the League Cup semi-final and the FA Cup semi-final uh, where they lost a whole um, and obviously, he's worked with some decent players. Obviously, he had Harry Maguire, but that overall squad was was really inept. And even, he didn't even have Dominic Calvert lewin which was just before his, uh, his move to Everton. So, yeah, uh, they had also Trey Adams as well. That's, a, that's another one uh, that he had. But other than them three, um, I believe he had, he had Dean Hammond and he never pulled up any trees either. Sam, Bowyer hasn't left Charlton in a
0: particularly bad position. Um, In fact, they're currently sitting in the League One playoffs with 10 games left. So, surely there's a chance that he could even achieve promotion this season if he gets off to a good start.
2: Yeah, well, like you say, he's got fantastic League One pedigree with Salanton and also Scunny. So, it's really the perfect league, perfect situation almost for him to come into, obviously. Uh, Charlton have had their issues with the ownership, especially last season, but I think they do have a concrete owner now so they'll be looking to bring Adkins in like I say he's got a fantastic pedigree and I think he, he does have a chance like you guys have said
0: yeah um, before we move on to chat about our last managerial change before the quiz I just want to say I hope Nigel Adkins carries on with <laughs> those many Twitter videos in the morning always, always <laughs> wake me up and get me ready for the day so please Nigel if you're watching keep those going um, but yeah Portsmouth have also um, made a change this week. Well, they're set to bring in um, their new manager. In fact, by the time this one goes out, um, he might have already been appointed. Um, but Kenny Jacket is the man who's gone out of the door because um, Pompey have been on a very poor run in recent weeks. And their penalty defeat to Salford last weekend of the Papa John's Trophy Final. That was last season's Papa John's Trophy Final. But still, it was played last weekend for some reason. It's taken all this time. <laughs> that was the final straw for Jacket. Um, Harry, the first thing I heard of this news um, was from you because I heard you downstairs. You, you were almost moaning about seeing it as a Saints <laughs> fan. But how disappointed were you to hear this news? Well, when when the when the
1: Portsmouth fans themselves are delighted about a manager leaving, you can sort of tell where it was going. You know, the last three seasons, I think they they were quite unimpressed by the dull style of football. It wasn't progressive. I don't. I think Kenny Jacket for me personally, is a, is a long term manager, and I think they saw that as well. And it was just that slow sort of thing of yes, they'd get in the top six every season, maybe not this year because they're tenth, but they can still overtake chance with the games in hand. So if they win, their, if Danny Cowley starts well, they can get straight back into the playoffs of the, the two games that they've got. But yeah, it was <laughs> it was quite enjoyable because you could sort of see the Salford loss coming because they're in a horrendous spell of form and now Cowley's got a great chance to turn it around because once again he's not got a bad squad of players there. players like John Marquis are perfect for that level of football maybe even next season take, might take the step up so he's got a good little foundation there especially because Portsmouth are a, a, quite a big club for that sort of level especially when the fans do get back in the stage and whenever that will be
0: As for Cowley and his brother um, they they took the step up to the Championship in their last job with Huddersfield, which eventually um, they were probably harshly sacked from there. So, Sam, do you think this job will suit them? As Harry's mentioned there, Pompey for League One are a pretty big club, aren't they?
2: They are. And when Jacket was brought in, promotion to the Championship was always the aim. And they always sort of almost got there. They obviously lost in the playoffs to Sunderland and Oxford in the past two seasons. So they are an almost team, really, in that league. They just need that final push. And I think the Cowleys have definitely got the pedigree to do that with what they did with Lincoln, went, you know going up in style with Lincoln, really winning the National League title and also the League Two title and an EFL trophy on the way. So they've... And like you say, they were probably unfairly sat from Huddersfield, even though they ended up just three points above the relegation zone to finish the season. So I think... Yeah, the Cowleys would would be a magnificent appointment for Pompey.
0: And I saw um, an interesting little snippet yesterday from John T. Coleman, who used to go to used to be on the course at the university where we are, are now at. Um, he now covers Portsmouth every day for Hampshire Live. Um, and he put out a tweet saying that Pompey's last 11 games are all against sides who are currently in the bottom half of League One. Um, So, Devon, obviously, the the game isn't played on paper. I think that's a cliche which is often used, but surely that will give them some sort of belief that, like Charlton, they could make a late run for promotion.
3: I mean, definitely, they've got... Two games in hand, the tenth. And they're only three points off the six, which I believe now is is uh, Nigel Adkins as Charlton. So they they've definitely got enough time to catch up with those teams. It's just if 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 you get if they get a good start and a good run at it, they'll definitely get on there. But I think considering the strength in that top six, I feel like that maybe promotion this year might be a little bit of a stretch. Next season, however. They could have that effect. the bounce back where they, they they can bring in a couple of their own players and and really step stamp their authority and and repeat what they was trying to do at Lincoln. Um, like like Sam said, he was harshly sacked to um, <clears throat> at Huddersfield. Um, I think the considering the position that they took over um the the previous guy, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name because I, I can't remember fully off my head and I don't want to swear. Um. But he, um, the, I feel like the bounce, I've always rated Danny Cowley. I thought I feel like we should have got him in instead of Gary Monk. And again, before uh, when Pulis was announced, I, again, I said I wanted Cowley um, or Paul Cook, who was the postman force also missed out on the return of. But um, I think Cowley's impact anyway will be positive, whether it's this season or next season.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, sorry to interrupt, George, but I think especially no. it's important to get a manager and even if they're not going to get promoted. Like, I look at it, uh, sorry, no, it's Charleston the same way. You know, they are sixth at the moment, but there's five teams between seventh and thirty that have got games in hand that they can oversee take them with if they win both but it's important for managers because a lot of people say oh why don't you just leave them to the end of the season this might happen this might happen when you get physical games to see the players in action you can go Joe, you know i'm not a fan of this player no i like this player and you can sort of sort of weed out the players that you want and don't want before the end of the season so when that transfer window opens, you can go well I want him out I want him out and I want him out and these positions that I need so it's, it's, it's a good time to get rid of managers I feel because there's not a lot of pressure on them to get into the playoffs but they can sort of judge the right players in their team and which ones they want to keep.
0: Yeah I think that's a good point Harry and you would like to think that Cowley would have accepted that job with a bit of assurance that he's going to be afforded more time after this season. And that expectation probably isn't here for this season. Um, But that kind of rounds off that section of the pod. All that is left for this week is, of course, Sam's quiz. So, Sam, over to you. What have we got to answer questions on this week? I'm not sure it went too well last week. So hopefully more points are scored this time around. It was sort of a quick turn. Um, I
3: won that, George, so I'll
0: take
2: that comment <laughs> back. It was a sort of a quick turnover for this. So I've not had too much time to think about my questions. but sounds really keeping us with the, waiting with this one. With the England squad, I thought we've got Watkins and Johnston potentially making their first appearances. And they, for the time being at least, will be joining a an exclusive club if they do and that's the one cap wonders so i've got sort of a, a who am i style oh i like that one I
0: cat. Like the sound of
2: that. players the one <laughs> england cap
0: sam was sam was telling me before we recorded that this was going to be easy but that doesn't sound to me i suppose it depends on what the clues are yeah.
3: and it depends on, what sir. he told you beforehand as well <laughs> 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 nothing
2: was said regarding the answers
3: where, where
2: was his
0: <laughs> brown envelope?
2: Oh, dear. Go on, Sam. Okay. Number one. I'm currently playing for Tramir Rovers in League Two. My longest and best spell in my career was at Leicester City, where I made over 150 appearances. In my only England cap, I famously robbed a goal off Jermaine Defoe. Got it.
3: The... Yeah, I think
2: I've got
0: this one.
1: Oh, why you put me under pressure already?
2: That's one of the more notable.
0: <laughs> ones no, don't say that. <laughs> just
3: because just it was such a good, good goal from uh, from from that one appearance. I don't
0: remember the goal, but I think what, one of the other clues. No, is...
3: it, it it's absolutely. Br- I don't know how he scored from the position where it were.
0: <laughs> Sam, what's number two? Number two,
2: I started my career at Gillingham before moving to Wolves. I've made just over 400 appearances in my career spanning 18 years, but only 49 in the last six years. I was the first Wolves player to be capped since 1990
0: when I was picked in
1: 2011. Oh, got it. I think I do, but you know, fingers crossed for how it is out of perspective anyway.
3: Yeah, you'll just guess the right answer anyway.
0: <laughs> Number
2: three. I've played for twelve different clubs in my fourteen year career. I'm also considered somewhat of a one season wonder for my performances for Bolton in the 0-1-0-2 Premier League season. However, I failed to score for the rest of the season after my England debut in February two
0: thousand and two. Oh god. That's- but what was the first clue?
2: I played for 12 different clubs in my 14-year career. That's, that's,
1: that's the stump, that. The 12 different clubs. So the player that I'm thinking of, I don't know if he plays for 12 different teams, but it's the only player that I can think of. So we'll go with it.
0: I'm not sure I can name any Bolton players from that era, to be honest. Um, well, that are English, you mean? <laughs> well oh, no, I know because I have no idea though, I'm but, thinking I
1: might be a bit too
3: did, bit too did too even have, a, have an appearance for England before <laughs> <laughs> oh, that be, I'm worried it's, it's going to be really
0: obvious but we'll move we'll move on anyway go on Sam you shall see number four I played for three different
2: current Premier League teams as a youth player I made my only England clap England cap in February 2007 against Spain, coming on for Lampard for the final 15 minutes. I've since turned to management to retiring.
3: Can you repeat that again?
2: Three Prem clubs. I played for three different Prem clubs as a youth player. I made my only England cap cap, I keep saying clap cap. (laughs) February 2007 against Spain, coming on for Lampard for the final 15 minutes. I've since turned to management. After, oh, tough. I
1: think I've watched something about, not watched about this, but like it's coming to mind. Someone talking about this, but I can't.
3: I'm just. It's yeah, not. It's still, not. I think it, it's not. I think he's got more than one appearance. I think, I think his name's like Stephen Gerrard, isn't it? Current <laughs> manager. Oh yeah, I God. think
2: he's just. He just got a couple more after. Do no, you know? Because he might not know. have.
0: I, I yeah, honestly, no one came to mind, and I, I feel embarrassed by that because I know that it's going to be a really obvious Good, person. The
2: first two seem quite easy.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna Without just doubt. I'm gonna take a real pump, but I, I don't think he played for England at all. I might be wrong, but okay. What's number five, Sam? Number Is this five. the last one?
2: Yes, I'm a Premier League champion and Golden Boot winner. Some of my clubs include Chelsea, Birmingham and Villa. I had a fallout with then England manager Glenn Hoddle, which ended my England career before it really started.
1: Can you say that again?
2: I'm a Premier League champion and Golden Boot winner. Some of my clubs include Chelsea, Birmingham and Aston Villa. I had a fallout with then England manager Glenn Hoddle, which ended my England career. Really started.
0: Chelsea, Chelsea, Birmingham, and Villa. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh my! God. I'm, I'm thinking of someone, but I think a more noticeable club would have Sam would have mentioned if this player is this player, if that makes sense. So I'm trying, trying to think. Golden
0: boot winner. That's what I mean. Oh. I oh, I'm stumped. I'm Stump of
1: my so clubs, not
2: the only clubs he's played
1: I know, for. I know, but I think. Unless you purposely went for the non-big ones, if that makes sense, as in, like, the non-obvious ones. I can't say that. <laughs> I
3: don't, I'm not, I don't know. think the person that I've written down played for one of the clubs, but...
1: No, same here. Uh, I you don't know. know. Might as well, I might as well write it down, just in case. And he seems like... Yeah.
3: Could, could I request for number three again, or not? Yeah, I think that's the one that's dumped everyone.
2: I played for 12 different clubs in my 14 year career. I'm also considered somewhat of a one season wonder for my performances for Bolton in the 01 02 Premier League season. However, I failed to score for the rest of that season after my debut for England in February 2002.
0: Chelsea, Birmingham, and Villa.
1: I find it outrageous that he was a top goal scorer of the Premier League and a winner of it, and only got one cap. That's the, That's the thing that's stumping me. Like, surely it's it must be slightly obvious because you just you remember the top goal scorer from each season. I guess it might have been ages ago. I might not have been ages ago. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll go with that.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have really? to go, Sam. I've got nothing for the number five at the moment. Maybe I'll think of something as we go down, but I, okay. I don't think I will, to be honest.
2: Um, I don't know where to read them out again do I just do the answers
0: you can do, You can guy? just give the questions if
2: you want just do the answer alright
0: question number one George what have you got I'm pretty confident on this one David Nugent. David Nugent Harry what have you got
1: I wasn't sure so I went James Vaughan I don't even know if he's English mm-hmm. I didn't know that David Nugent's playing the yeah
3: I went for Nugent
1: Darn it, it was David Nugent smashing he's, it
3: he's on
1: the, the line. It's the one person that comes to mind when it's a one cap wonder. <laughs> um,
2: sadly, <laughs> it, one, it wasn't for that one. For that, one. Ones, like, for that goal, yeah. number two, what have you got, Harry? For question number two,
1: I went for Matt Jarvis.
2: Matt Jarvis, number two, Devon.
3: I also went for Matt Jarvis,
0: Matt Jarvis, George. Yeah, he's probably somewhere on a physio bench at the moment. <laughs> Matt Jarvis. I believe he's at Woking at the working.
2: But yeah, it's Matt Jarvis. Trez, number three. Rolling board, which is quite early compared yeah. to last last
3: week. <laughs> uh, oh, question from yeah, this one.
2: Question number three, Devin. What have you
3: got? I have got. Absolutely zero idea, and I know it's definitely hundred percent not him. But the only Bolton striker I can think of that played for England is Kevin Davis. Okay. But I think he was still at Ch- at at, uh, at Chesterfield in in two thousand and five before he was Bolton. So yeah,
0: George. Yeah, I was on the same trail of thought as Dev, and I I just thought of a Bolton striker, and he he was the only one I'm afraid. So a
3: bit of all like right. Now.
2: Yeah, same here. Kevin Davids.
0: God, we're all
3: boring this week, can't we? And it's wrong as well.
2: It was Michael Ricketts. I would have never oh. have got that. Never would have got that in a million years. Apologies. No, no I, I wouldn't. wouldn't I, would obscure ones. I think he got like 15 goals in the frame up to that point and then he didn't score for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> question number four. George, what have you got for question number four?
0: I've got... Joey Barton and I, Barton. I really don't oh. think he's
1: Barton, but he's oh, well, just. that might back. be a oh.
3: Oh. Kevin. what have you got? I've gone for Scotty P, Scott Parker before any hashtag fans. stuff. <laughs> when well, I'm
2: on, you have to clarify that in this day and age. Yeah, I, no I, idea. Idea. I went to Jamie O'Hara. Jamie O'Hara. I wasn't sure. George's, George's oh, got it. Joey Barton. Of course, he does. Yes, I can't it believe it that. Good answer, George.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, I didn't think he played for England, to be honest. Right,
2: he well, had 15 minutes that. as an England player. there you go.
3: Now, <laughs> is, in, it's in Joey Barton named, wasn't Joey Barton in the midfield with uh, Carlton Palmer as the worst ever England 11? If anyone remembers that program.
2: Yeah. Not before like the 2010 World Cup or something.
3: Yeah, it always got got repeated on BBC Three yeah. before it went online. That is brilliant. I, I will drink to Joey
0: Barton tonight.
2: Taking the lead <laughs> for the final question, Devon. Fine what you got.
3: Um, took a pun, Scott Sinclair.
2: Scott Sinclair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Harry.
3: That's wrong then. I think Sam. Oh. Oh, well, yeah.
1: for mine, I thought you would have said Sunderland, but I put Kevin
0: Phillips on your because
1: I'd absolutely know what I do. George?
0: Well, Kevin Phillips was a name that came to mind, but I, I haven't written anything down, because I, I don't think Kevin Phillips played for Chelsea, Birmingham. No, and neither, neither I, do I. I, do I, just, I, I, it, haven't, I haven't got anything Kevin to Kevin Phillips played for like. Birmingham, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, just,
3: he? Yeah, but I, I can't remember him home. at Chelsea.
2: He played for those three clubs, but he also played for Norwich, Blackburn, and Celtic. It was Chris Sutton. I'm not gonna
1: lie to you. He was I'm not gonna lie to you, he was in my head, but I thought George would have got that straight down on his paper yeah, if it was because he didn't I, know. I, I
2: purposely his, admitted those clubs because I thought
1: I might have. His what uncertainty. Made makes me think yeah. otherwise, but I can't say it was ever a serious thought uh, in my head, so, Yeah.
3: If you'd have said the worst pundit ever on TV and radio, <laughs> then I'd have got that straight away.
0: No, he's, he's, he's controversial. He makes for good viewing, I think. No, he but isn't. We'll, we'll he agree did. to disagree. Get on.
3: off my screen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I have to say, Sam, I, I'm a bit disappointed I didn't get the Chris Sutton one, to be honest, but he, he really didn't come to mind.
3: I really um, enjoyed yeah. that. I like the blue eyes.
0: Nice. That was it. That was a good round, Sam. I, I think you expected it to be easier,
3: didn't you?
2: Um, I don't know. It's hard to say when you like when you know the answer, isn't it? So.
3: Have uh, I hurried with 20 guesses?
0: How how are the standings looking after that?
2: How Not does good for me. Judge? You've won this week, George. So you've got a four wonder, point yeah. gap again to Devon. You've got 34, devon has got 30, Harry's got 27.
0: There we go. Well, a, a very oh, good, good round, I have to say. Kudos to you. Um, but that is where we will end this week's episode, of course. Um, thank you for joining us. It might be an international break next week, but we will still be doing an episode. So keep an eye out for that. Um, you can find us on Twitter, of course, at the underscore formation, Facebook as well. I say these every week, so if you've watched before and you're not following us over there by now, then what are you playing at? Um, but, yeah, we will see you next week. Comment below. Are you down sure below.
3: you don't want to uh, serenade the Wi-Fi again, George? No,
0: we've still got a bit of time. I, I can see on, on the Zoom call there's five minutes left, so I'm just going to relax. I don't need to rush it this time, but um, I've said all I need to say. I think we've all said all we need to say, so that will be that, and we will see you next time.